John 11 is where we're going to start. John chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 1. And it says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, today is going to be very scripture intensive. We've got a lot of scripture to get through, but you're going to see why in a minute, why we need to spend so much time in the word, which is not a bad thing. Uh, But here's the situation. Lazarus is sick. Sisters say, hey, we know Jesus. He's a healer. Let's call Jesus, summon him, and see if he can't solve the situation. Sounds like a pretty good plan. And Jesus was friends with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now I want you to take that verse, chapter 11, verse 4, put that in your pocket. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. But a lot of you know the story of Lazarus. If you don't, it's really good and we're going to get there in a second. But he says the sickness will not end in death, which is kind of weird because it did. And then he says, no, it's, it's for God's glory. The whole reason this is happening is so that God's son may be glorified through it. That's important to know. All right, keep going. Verse five. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And that's a pretty small verse that a lot of people just overlook as they're reading through John 11, but it's maybe the most critical verse of all. This is he loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha, he loved them. And I think we know that. Jesus loves me, this I know. We know that he loves us. But in what text follows, there's gonna be a lot of question marks. They're gonna go, do you really love me? And that verse is in there to underscore and reinforce, I love you this much. I love you. I love you. I love you. Some of you probably asked for things from God. You prayed to God. God healed the situation. God fixed my marriage. God saved my mom. Something. God do this. And maybe he doesn't answer as quickly or in the way that you had hoped he'd respond. And you go, well, you must not love me. And he goes, no, 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 I I do love you. And just in case they started to second guess his love, he goes, "I, I love you. I love you. I love Mary and I love Martha and I love Lazarus. But you see, this is not for you. It's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified. So you've got your story, but there's a greater story called the glory of God that's going on all around you. And I'm painting on a canvas bigger than you can see. You're gonna have to trust me on this. Trust me, Lazarus, I love you, but you're gonna have to trust me. Verse six. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And that had to be confusing for the disciples because they're going, wait a minute, wait a minute. You love (laughs) Lazarus and you just heard he's sick and you want to stay where we are for two more days instead of going to him that doesn't make any sense Lord skip down to verse 11 after he had said this he went on to tell them our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I'm going there to wake him up his disciples replied Lord if he sleeps he'll get better and Jesus had been speaking of his death but the disciples thought he meant natural Sleep. So the disciples, again, obviously confused. So he says, hey, Lazarus is asleep. And they're going, oh, well, that's good. Because if you're sick, sleep helps with sickness, right? Rest. So if he's resting, let's don't go wake him up. That's a good idea, Lord. Let's let him sleep. And Jesus is like, no, he's dead. 
And he says it in verse 14. He told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. You gotta get this. You gotta get this, okay? So he says, I'm, I'm glad he wasn't there. I'm glad I wasn't there because it's for your sake. I want you to believe. Sometimes God doesn't respond in a way that we want him to respond. He doesn't respond quickly enough. And, and, and maybe that makes you have some unbelief, but he goes, but my whole goal is to get you to believe. I want to get you to believe. I'm going to show you how he does that in just a minute. All right. Uh, Thomas is starting to piece it all together. He says, told him plain, Lazarus is dead for your sake. I'm glad I was not there so you may believe. Let's go to him. And then Thomas, also known as Didymus, I would rather go by Thomas, but that's just me. Send to the rest of the disciples, let's also go that we may die with him. So Thomas is picking up on this. He's going, okay, okay, okay. If, if Jesus is saying we shouldn't have gone and that's a good thing, then maybe we should die too. If it's, if it's good, if it's for our sake that we might believe that he died, then maybe we should die. Not a physical death. He's just going, maybe we should lay our lives down as well. Maybe, just maybe, we should all die too. Not physical deaths, but die to anything that's less than Jesus in our lives so we can take a shot at something bigger called the story and glory of God that's on all around us. All right, we're gonna skip down quite a bit to verse 34. Uh, chapter 11, 34 says, where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord. Jesus wept. And I love that verse. It's one of the two shortest verses in the Bible. Jesus wept. It's John eleven thirty five. 35. Super, super short verse. But I love that Jesus, if you know the end of the story, he knows the end of the story too. And yet he wept for that family. When, when you go through sorrow, he's right there beside you, weeping with you. He knows it's hard. Cast your cares on him. He cares for you. Be yoked to him. He'll make your, your, your burden easier and, and, and your yoke light. That's what he does. Verse 34 again. Where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he who, not, who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time, there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Okay, so Martha has to be exasperated at this point. Jesus, we asked you to come. He was sick, he wasn't dead, and you didn't come, and that's fine. But now you come, and you're late, and he's dead. And he's been dead for four days, and it was Jewish custom, Jewish belief, that after the third day, the body began to decompose. And I think Jesus did that on purpose. So this body is supposed to be rotting inside the tomb. She goes, so now you come and you ask to roll away the stone. So what? So you can see that we wrapped him correctly? He, he stinks. The King James Version says, he stinketh. <laughs> like, what do you want, Lord? You want to go look in there, make sure he's still there? He's there. He's dead. You weren't here on time. Some of you have been exasperated with God before. You get really frustrated with God, but that's not the end. Of, he, anywhere you think there's a period, there's usually a comma because God's not done with the story yet. Verse 40, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. 
I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he'd said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, I love that. There's, y'all didn't laugh at that, but that makes me laugh. Like, can you, like, I don't know what it looked like that day, but like he comes out and I kind of get this picture that he's like, because they wrapped him in all this gauze. And I get this picture that he's like, <laughs> he came out looking like a mummy. Right, just uh, And like, and I'm sure everybody's like, Right? Because he has to say, take off the grave clothes. Like, because nobody's doing it. Like, nope, everybody's just in stunned awe of what are we seeing? And so, like, we don't even be bumping into a rock. You know, he can't see. He's got all this stuff all over. So he's like, take off the grave clothes. I love that. Now, verse 45 troubles me. So, there's a Passover feast that's supposed to happen. And because of the Passover, there's a lot of visitors in from out of town. Bethany is where that took place. It's about two miles away from where this is happening in Jerusalem. And so there's a lot of extra people in town witnessing this miracle. And read verse 45. It says, therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Why does that verse bother me? What word bothers me? Many. Many. What? Many. It should say all, shouldn't it? If any of you raise somebody from the grave, I will be worshiping you. Are you kidding me? Many? There was somebody that was in that scene that said, oh yeah, I saw it, it was awesome. Like I was there when Lazarus died. I saw them wrap him up. I saw them put, I was part of the morning party. They put him in the tomb. They rolled the stone in place. And then this Jesus guy, who's supposed to be this miracle man, he comes, tells him to roll away the stone. Martha's having a fit. And then he goes, Lazarus, come out. And the dude comes out, looks like a mummy. And they took off the grave clothes and it was Lazarus. Like it wasn't even a magic trick. But I don't know if I believe he's God. I don't want that to be your story. Where you got this close to God and you go, "Eh, I don't know. He's real. He's real. He's real. Okay. So that all happens in John 11. John 12, verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there. This is the Passover feast, okay? So the Passover is happening, this big, massive festival. Large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> hey, let's kill that guy. Well, it didn't work last time. We'll try to get him. <laughs> but that's what we're aiming for. That the people in your world would look at you and go, He once was dead and now he's not. He he once was an addict and now he's not. His marriage was in trouble on the rocks and now they're thriving. He used to be an awful father and now he's a really good, good father. Like 
I want them to look at your story. They may see your good works and praise your father in heaven. Why there's so, like he couldn't have done that on his own. I know him. I work with him. Like he used to be this and now he's not. Lazarus used to be dead and now he's not. And, and I think that's part of the heart of why God allows suffering. It's just part of the answer to that question. Right? Let me ask you this question. Could God have got glory? Remember, remember John eleven four. 4? It is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Could God have gotten glory had he healed Lazarus from the sickness? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. But did he get more glory by allowing him to die and then raising him from the grave? Yes or no? Definitively. And so sometimes God allows Difficult things, storms in your life, suffering in your life, pain in your life, divorce in your life, death in your life, disease in your life. And you say, why, God? It's, it's, for, it's not for you. It's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. I could have healed you from that sickness, but how much more cool would it be if you actually died and they had you on the table and they said, yeah, he's a goner, and then we brought you back to life. How much more celebrated would God get in that moment? And sometimes I think that's why he allows it. It's because it's not about us. It's all about him, his story, and his glory. Look at verse 20. I love this. This is, if you don't read the Bible with some humor, try again. It's really funny. Okay, verse 20. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with the request. Sir, we'd like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Okay, so... Real simple, a couple of Greek guys, they're there for the Passover, and they say, hey, since we're here, we've come a long way from Greece, isn't that, isn't that him? That's the dude, isn't it? That's Jesus. Hey, I think that's one of his followers. Let's see if we can get backstage and get an autograph or something, photograph. He says, hey, hey, you're Philip, right? Hey, man, hey, we're from Greece. Nice to meet you, nice to meet you. Hey, listen, I know, like, he's the man, or he's the God. I, you know, I want, we want to meet him. Is there any way we could, like, get some backstage access and maybe have a photograph with him or an autograph or something like that. That'd be so cool. All right, thanks, man. So Philip, uh, I know I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit. I'm adding to the story. You gotta, so, so Philip turns to Andrew. I don't know why he does. He goes, hey, they, there's some guys that want to meet him. So they go to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, there's some guys from Greece. They're here. They've come a long way. They're big fans. And, uh, and they want to meet you and maybe get an autograph or a photograph. Now, if I'm Jesus, and I'm not, but if I'm Jesus, that seems like a really simple request. Oh, sure, sure. Hey, how's it going? Hey, yeah, I know your name. I'm God. Hey, yeah, it's good, good to know you guys. Yeah, thanks for, how, how, how long was that trip? Okay, well, thanks for being here. It's, it's an honor to meet you. Oh, yeah, yeah, we can do a photograph. Oh, absolutely, come on. Philip, take the picture. Flash wasn't on. All right, all right. Hey, when you post it online, be sure you tag me, all right? Yeshua, all right, thank you. All right, good, good to know you guys. Good to know you, all right? Seems real simple. That's not how the story went down. Verse 23, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. That's funny. That makes me laugh, right? Because they're like, hey, there's a couple of guys from Greece that come a long way and they really want to meet you. And he goes, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Okay. I don't know if you heard us. There's a guy from Greece, a couple of them that want to meet you, right? That's a weird thing for him to say in response to their, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. <laughs> right? That seems kind of confusing. Verse 24, 
Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So now, now he's given an agricultural lesson. But I want you to catch this. He says, if, if a kernel of wheat by itself, if it was the greatest kernel of wheat in the history of kernels of wheat, if, if you put it in the ground, or if, it, if it's just there, that's all it's ever gonna be. It's just a single kernel of wheat. That's all it's gonna be. But if it dies, if you put it in the ground, you bury it, it dies, then it actually lives. It continues to produce because it's gonna produce wheat and more seeds. And then he kind of relates it to us, verse 25. Anyone who loves their life is gonna lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. So he says, you show me somebody who's all about their life, their will, their ambitions, their emotions, their desires, their goals, and I'll show you somebody who at the end of their life has no life. But you show me somebody who's willing to lay down their life, their goals, their ambitions, they're picking up my goals and my will for their life. I'll show you somebody who at the end of their life has abundant life and eternal life. And then he kind of takes a shift. And again, there's two guys from Greece. They're waiting to meet him. They're outside. Philip and you're probably sitting down at this point going, I don't know. I don't know where he's going with this. this. He's talking about seeds now, right? That's kind of confusing. Verse 27, he goes, my soul's troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. So Jesus was 100% God, yes, but he's also 100% man. And this is a 100% man moment. Where he's like, what, what should I say? Because I want to say, Father, save me from this hour. Father, I know what the next few days hold. I know that I'm going to the cross. I know I'm going to die for the sins of the world, but there's got to be another way. I know 1 Timothy 1.15 is going to say, Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners. But listen, I, I just, there's got to be some other way. Send down a legion of angels, rescue me. Let's save humanity some other way. What should I say, Father? Save me from this hour. My soul is troubled. He goes, no, it's for this very reason I came to this hour. This is why I was born, for this moment. And then he says this amazing four-word prayer that I promise you, if you will say this four-word prayer, if you'll begin to integrate that into your prayer life, into your thought life, into your day-to-day -day operation, it will change your life. It is a prayer that God will always, always answer. He said, Father, glorify your name. Remember, Lazarus, this is, this, is, this is a death thing, but it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And now he's saying, God, if you can get glory, I'll go to the cross. A few years ago, Goodness, now 10 years ago, when I was youth pastor here, we took a group of kids to Gatlinburg, Tennessee for summer camp. Some of you were on that trip. And uh, we had an awesome time. Well, we were, the, the camp itself, the speaker, Louis Giglio and, and Christian Stanfield, they were leading our camp. And we would, we would walk over, we stayed at this little hotel, and then we'd walk over to the convention center, which wasn't that very, wasn't, wasn't far. But it was just a lot of work to get everybody loaded up on the bus and go get something to eat. And so I just said, hey, there's a few restaurants. Just go to one of the restaurants nearby. I believe there was a Subway, a Burger King, and a McDonald's. Um, if you know me, I went to McDonald's pretty much every day that week. 
multiple times a day, okay? So I just, I like McDonald's, all right? In Jesus' name, McNuggets. They're, they're in the marriage supper of the lamb. Um, so I went to McDonald's and, and there was a girl that worked there named Denise Hadley. Denise, I love Denise. Um, I'll never forget her as long as I live. She was the most fun McDonald's employee I've ever seen in my entire life. When I came in the very first day, she goes, hey, your order's ready. She threw a French fry at a customer. I'm like, I like her. Like, because she, she yelled at him and he didn't hear him. So she threw a fry. And I'm like, you're just, she was just, hey, how's it going? How's, can I get some fries with that? I mean, she was just fun. She just really enjoyed working at McDonald's. So I just immediately connected with her and said, man, I just love your joy. I love, I love everything about you. So it got to be Friday, um, and we were leaving the next morning. <laughs> I, had, I had exhausted all of my options. Every single student said, I'm not going to McDonald's again with you. And I said, I'm not going to Subway or Burger King. So I went by McDonald's by myself like a loser. I know what a great youth pastor I was. Instead of sacrificing and eating a sandwich, no, I'm going back to McNuggets. But God had a plan. So I get there, and I order my food, and I'm sitting there at a the table by myself. And that was... Again, I didn't have any other voices. I just had his voice. And he said, I want you to tell Denise about me. And I said, no. <laughs> That's weird. I'm not going to do that. That is so weird. I don't even know. I just met her. And it just was like, I mean, I couldn't get it out of my head. And so I went up to her. We're leaving at 4 o'clock the next morning to come back to Snyder. And I went up to her and I said, what time do you get off work? And she said, 11. And I said, if I come back at 11, I said, I feel like I'm supposed to tell you something. I'm not weird. I'm, I promise. I just, I feel like I'm supposed to tell you something. She said, okay, that's fine. She said, I'll be out here. So I came back. I had a, an adult, another adult sponsor, Raymond McLean, with me. A lot of you know Raymond. And uh, he was just there to help me and be, be my accountability partner. And uh, we sat down on some park benches. She lit up a cigarette and we began to talk. And I said, uh, Denise, I know this is going to sound really weird, but I just feel very strongly that I'm supposed to tell you that God loves you and he died for you. And she starts telling me her story and she starts talking about how all this negative stuff has happened in her life. She, uh, at four years old, was sexually assaulted by her father. Her mother found out and divorced her dad. So at five years old, her mother remarried and the stepfather sexually assaulted her. Her mother found out and divorced him, remarried at, when, when Denise was six, and at six years old, her new stepfather sexually assaulted Denise. This time, mother finds out, doesn't believe her, thinks she's the one crying wolf, and so she sends Denise to live with her grandmother. And so Denise is living with her grandmother, and two days before sitting on this park bench on Wednesday, she said, my grandmother just passed away in North Carolina, and I don't know if I can afford to get back to North Carolina to even attend her funeral. She's the only rock that I have in my life. And so we started talking and uh, I said, Denise, you ever, ever have experience in church? She said a little bit. My grandma took me a little bit when I was younger. I said, okay. I said, she, her big thing was, she said, I don't know how a loving God could allow all this to happen to me. How does God allow suffering? I said, let me ask you a question. When you think about Jesus, you know Jesus? She said, yeah. I said, when you think about him, you do the same thing. What do you think about? Like, what's the first image that comes to your head? Like, when you think about like an image of Christ, what's he doing? Where is he at? What do you think about? And she said, and this is the response I get most often. She said, I see him on the cross. 
I said, that's interesting that you said that. How many of you honestly thought that's, where he, that's the first thing you thought of was him on the cross? Yeah, lots of hands. I said, it's interesting that you said that. I said, because he's not on the cross anymore. He came off the cross, he was buried, he rose again. He's enthroned on an everlasting throne. He's alive, he's not dead. I said, but your first thought of all of Jesus' life was not him un, uh, stopping a deaf ear or healing a blind eye or walking on water, turning water to wine. Your first thought was his darkest day. I said, imagine, Denise, if you were there that day at the foot of the cross and you're looking at Jesus, there would be no celebration. You would think if you were there in that moment, in that moment, you would say, God's not real. Jesus is a joke. His promises are untrue. I have nothing to believe in. And this is the worst event in the history of humanity. The Messiah, the savior of the world is hanging on the cross. I said, Denise, we don't have that perspective. We see the same event. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. See the same event and see the exact opposite things 2,000 years later. God is real. Jesus is real. His promises are true. I have something to believe in. And that is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in the history of my life. In fact, I'm going to sing a song. Oh, the wonderful cross. It's the same event. Nothing changed except our perspective. People are wearing cross jewelry around their necks. And that was a painful, excruciating instrument of torture. I said, Denise, maybe, just maybe, the bad things that have happened in your life, that God is using them for his glory. Let me ask you something. Of all the things that Jesus did in his life, you could make a very strong case, could you not? That God got the most glory. If it's all glorify your name, that's what he prayed. God got the most glory, became the most famous during Jesus' most difficult hour. And I said, maybe just maybe God is gonna get the most glory from those four to six-year-old years in your life. And I don't know what that means, but you're gonna have a moment where you're gonna encounter somebody who's gone through that and you're gonna be able to share with them and minister to them. And I just saw the light bulb go on in her head. I said, would you do me a favor? Well, first of all, I did her a favor. Raymond and I emptied our wallets, every single sol solitary cent we had, and we gave her every penny that we had. And we said, go see your grandma and honor her and bury her properly. And then I said, but here's the thing I'm gonna ask of you. I want you to go to church one time, just one time. And if you don't have a good time, you don't ever have to go back. And I'll give you some suggestions of some churches to go to. Now, I'd never been to Gatlinburg before then, but I know some people and I just said, hey, I'll find you a good church. And she said, I'll go. And she didn't. <laughs> For the longest time. She didn't go, she didn't go, she didn't go. It was years later, two years later. We kept on, up on, on cell phone. I gave her my number. And two years later, I get, a, I get a text message from her. I hadn't talked to her in over a year. I get a text message from her. And all it was, was a picture with a stained glass window in the background. And I said, I'm so proud of you. And then she just re replied, I made it. And it was awesome. Maybe, just maybe, the reason why God allows suffering in our lives is not because he doesn't love us. Remember, he loves you very much. But it's because there's a bigger story at play called the glory of God. A lot of you know my story. At 12 years old, I lost my father to suicide. And I think a lot of people wrote me off 
saying, well, that's tough. And I would give anything to have my dad back, I would. But I honestly believe I would not be your pastor had my dad been alive today. I truly believe that. I'd be selling tacos at Taco John's. Now, granted, Taco John's would still be here, and that would be a great thing. I got an amen. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with that at all. I just think I would have had a different path for my life. And I think, again, I've told my family this. I I, I think my dad died, and that was hard as a 12-year-old boy to deal with that. But I think my dad died so that I might do what I'm supposed to be doing. And when I get to heaven someday, I'm going to see my dad, and I'm going to hug him. And then I'm going to slug him because he missed out on so many great things, including my beautiful wife and kids. But I know that in the midst of that trial, God is bringing about my very best days. And the same can be for you. So instead of going, God, why? Start saying, God, if you can get glory, if you can get glory, glorify your name. And watch him use your worst days to bring about your very best days. As he did with Jesus, he's done with me. He did with Lazarus and he can with you. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for everybody that's here today and I realize that there's people here who have gone through really difficult seasons, even recently. Not even here at our church, we've had a handful of funerals just in the last couple of weeks. It's just been hard. It's not easy to navigate those those days in that darkness. But I'm comforted today that there is a reason, there is purpose behind the suffering. And that God, we have to trust that you are painting on a canvas bigger than we can see and that it is all for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And as my story, as Lazarus' story, and as your story stand in the gap as proof, that in all things, in all things, not some things, not most things, not bad things, not good things, in all things, you're working for the good of those who love you and who've been called according to your purpose. And in all things, you're working for the glory of God, for your glory, for our good. And we believe and receive that that's happening. So God, give us, take off our blinders and help us to see, to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds because the testing of our faith develops perseverance and, and, and we see that you're doing something greater. We ask this, believe this and receive this in Jesus' name. Amen. And I ask you to keep your heads bowed just for a moment, your eyes closed. This is always an opportunity in the service where I love to ask people if they'd like to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you have, have never done that. You hear in the cross story and you've never done that personally. I'd love to walk you through what that looks like. I'm gonna pray for you in just a moment. Um, we're not gonna make you come down to the front and do a dance. <laughs> this is just between you and God, but I wanna know so that I know who I'm praying for in just a moment. Every single week, it, ne- it, ne- it just never ceases to amaze me how many hands shoot up. So just know if you, you raise your hand today, you're not alone. There's other people today for the first time putting their faith in Jesus Christ saying, I choose Jesus. And I'd love to pray for you right now. So if that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want you to put your hand up so I know who I'm praying for. You say, Reed, I need Jesus right now. I need Jesus. I see your hands. Awesome. Anybody else? Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the cross. You can pray this with me. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for dying for my sins for taking my place. I believe you were buried, but I believe you rose again. And you beat death. And you beat hell. And by putting my faith in you, you give me that power. 
to beat death one day and to beat hell. Come into my life. Restore anything that's been broken. You're in the driver's seat from this point forward. I give my life to you for giving your life for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church family, let's give it up for all those who put their faith in Jesus today.